bum bum bottom 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 bum
So yeah, and if, turtles live a very long time, and this guy's gonna get to reach his ultimate end thanks to you. Like ratio wise, like I saved way more life than if I saved the life of like a, a rodent or a child. <laughs> Or the moth that's hanging outside our house right now. He's our friend. He's it's our neighbor. He's a massive moth as I, well. I know. I also want to put up that picture, but I used my house key for scale, and then I started getting paranoid. Like, what if somebody could use the picture of the house key to, like, break into our apartment? Wow. Um, okay. That that would require some serious Ethan Hunt Mission Impossible I don't know. theatrics. Our, our podcast is great. People are going to go at great lengths to... To uh, wear our skins as suits. Oh, gosh, Lisa. All right. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, that was some great opening banter, Lisa. Thanks. High we're five. nailing it. High five. Ah, I started to do a Foley high five, but then we got a real high five. No, so. I want a real high five. We don't fake our high skin fives on this podcast. Skin contact on that five. So, yes, uh, Thanos and Mistress Death, it's time to say goodbye to them. I hate to see them go. I cannot believe how over this past month, I've taken this like dastardly villain and made him super <laughs> empathetic and pathetic, pathetic. <laughs> well, you know, I don't want to get ahead of our conversation, but in covering Thanos and Mistress Death, it it does change the conversation. You know, there, there there's certainly conversation there, but you have to take into effect that they are monsters or in some cases one's an abstract and the other one's a monster yeah but i mean like for me in particular who i got most of my knowledge of thanos from the marvel cinematic universe like his motivation is like this like skewed humanitarianism yeah yeah a crazy eco terrorist right right where it's like well there's too many mouths to feed so let's just decrease the overall number of mouths where with comic book Thanos, he is motivated by his vulnerability and his lack of love and his lack of his sense of belonging, which everybody can identify with. Uh, Yes, but what they can't identify with is a love affair with the personification of death. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't happen. It adds an extra level of crazy that is missing from the MCU. A a cosmic crazy that I hope to one day get to, as we were talking about last episode, with the possibility of characters like Eternity entering the the cinematic world. I'd love to see the MCU get to this place someday. Absolutely. And And, and maybe, maybe like the next logical step would be like Galactus. Yeah, Galactus, Silver Surfer. I, I, I mean, we know that the Eternals are coming. There's going to be Celestials conversations. We've seen a glimpse of the Celestials already. You know, Dormammu and Doctor Strange. You know, that's exciting. But yes. we're here for the comic books, and we are closing out our conversation on Thanos and Mistress Death with Donny Cates and Jeff Shaw's Thanos Wins. Uh, as I've already stated many, many, many times this month, I love, love, love this storyline. It's one of those books that I love so much that I'm a little nervous to actually discuss it with you, Lisa, <laughs> because I fear that you may not like it or you may think it's meh or you just weren't into it. What? Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Hold that thought. Let's just let's just hold your reaction to Thanos wins. Um <laughs> This book technically covers a chunk of volume two of the Thanos solo series, which began under Sweet Tooth writer Jeff Lemire. But after he quit, hotshot Donny Cates took over as writer on issue number 13, which is where this story begins. Um, 
You know, I had read some of Lemire's Thanos comic. I was not in love with it at the time, and by the second arc, I had actually jumped ship. However, I do remember hearing around the comic book store rumblings of how amazing Donny Cates' take on Thanos was, and when I learned that he actually introduced a new ghostwriter into Marvel continuity, I knew I had to grab up the back issues. And once I did that, I scarfed them down and Cates became one of my new favorite writers. I remember when you got introduced to Cosmic Ghostwriter, you literally could not get enough of him and you would just revel in telling me everything that happened in that comic and going like, isn't that wild? And when I would talk to my friends who are into comic books, if they had not read this run, I would try to convince them by detailing the history of Cosmic Ghost Rider to them. And usually that worked. It's kind of funny because I had not really obsessed over a singular voice in comics in quite some time. But from Thanos, I read Cates' work on Venom and then his miniseries, The Death of the Inhumans. It's all totally rad stuff. And like Brian Michael Bendis and Grant Morrison and Brian K. Vaughn and Neil Gaiman, if I see Cates' name on a book, it's a guaranteed purchase. Currently, I'm working my way through his Doctor Strange run and his image comic God Country. Uh, He also just started a new take on Guardians of the Galaxy series, which I'm eager to read. And he spun Cosmic Ghost Rider into his own book as well. From this? From this. Wow. Which is amazing. And totally necessary now that I've met this character. Right? Okay. All right. So you liked Cosmic Ghost Rider? Spoilers. Yes, I did. I loved it. I loved it. And what I get from Donnie Cates is a real appreciation for epicness. Epicness, and also he loves the 90s. He He goes (laughs) back and he finds concepts that were, you know, that that he grew up on that were, you know, in the 90s zeitgeist, characters like Ghost Rider, characters like Venom, and he brings them back to the modern era and answers all the weird questions he had about these characters when he was a kid in a very contemporary, thoughtful, and, uh, you know, unique way. Yeah, I'm a 90s kid myself, and I think that uh, the bad boy ruled the 90s, and that's who he's pulling from. Frank Castle, Thanos, Venom. Yep, 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 for sure. And now he's doing a series on Carnage, so yeah, 90s. He he likes a a naughty, naughty boy. Yeah. (laughs) So Cates is this 32-year-old dude from Garland, Texas. Uh, He cut his teeth on comics like Buzzkill and The Paybacks, In 2010, he was actually an editorial intern at Marvel Comics Fetching Coffee. And in 2015, he was diagnosed with acute pancreatitis, which he told the Dallas News in an interview was retribution from his body for all the drinking he did. Wow. Like like his pancreas was the Frank Castle of his good times. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. This experience certainly and obviously had a profound impact on his life and work. He lost three months of his memory to the recovery process of intense numbing medication. And when he woke up from that gap in time, he applied the experience to the Alzheimer's that affects his character in the book God Country. And that comic is what ultimately caught the attention of Marvel Comics and granted him access to Doctor Strange and Thanos. Currently, 
uh, Donnie Cates lives in Austin, Texas, Lisa. Oh, wow. And I wonder if he goes to Fantastic Fest. I hope he does. Yeah, so we can kidnap him, right? Yep, yep, and um, make him be our best friends. Yeah, make him be our best friends. And right now, he's slaying it with Venom. Uh, you know, Thanos has ended. He did a run on Cosmic Ghost Rider. Uh, he's dealing with some of the fallout in with that in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, I mean... Like I said, I, I I feel like Donnie Cates is just a more talented version of myself <laughs> who loved all the same things that I loved in the 90s and wants to, you know, put them back up on their rightful pedestal, like Carnage. Sure, Brad. Yeah, sure, Brad. Okay. So, yeah, that's Donnie Cates. And uh, I'm happy to hear that, you know, it sounds like you are appreciating his work and enjoyed Thanos wins, especially Cosmic Ghost Rider. I did very much. All right. Uh, so before we get into the thick of things with the book itself, let's talk about Brene Brown, your new idol that you worship constantly. Yes. Brene Brown is my new Michelle Branch. She is everywhere to me. Everywhere I look, I see opportunities to lean into the vulnerable. I hear my call to courage, and I'm becoming shame resilient. Brene Brown is our relationship expert for Thanos and death, and she is a researcher in the areas of vulnerability and shame. And the book we'll be referring to is her 2012 bestseller, Daring Greatly, How the Courage to be Vulnerable Transforms the Way We Live, Love, parent, and lead. Her research shows that by avoiding vulnerable situations, situations that make us feel uncertain, at risk, or emotionally exposed, we're actually avoiding meeting our goals and becoming the people we want to be. She advocates for what she calls wholehearted living, letting go of the stakes that come from vulnerability so that we can become shame resistant and approach the challenges of life with a sense of worthiness. What I have really appreciated about Brene Brown is in tackling shame, it, she doesn't villainize that emotion. She normalizes it. You know, we're all going to encounter shame in our lives, and she gives us the tools to recognize it and deal with it. And we have now started to use those tools in our daily lives. And this is the first author we've had on this show where it's affected us in such a real way. Right. We are more likely to recognize when we are acting out the stages of shame, when we find ourselves blaming others, comparing ourselves to others and reframing that narrative. And when we read the five love languages, we certainly applied the language of Gary Chapman to our conversations. And we still talk about our love tank. And that's why we end every episode talking about the love tank. Right. But like the, the, the totality of the philosophy of Brene Brown is much more in line with our way of thinking. And just in like this week alone, we'll be telling ourselves a story about some frustrating moment that's occurred. And either you'll chime in with, uh, some Brene Brownisms, <laughs> or I'll start to recognize the Brene Brownisms in the conversation I'm telling you. Yeah, and it and it doesn't necessarily um, sound supernatural coming out of our mouths right now. It feels very like I don't know, like 
very transparent when we're applying Brene Brown to things. But, but it, I, I see us like really integrating that idea of being vulnerable into our everyday lives. Sure. But I think, you know, to, to comment on your uh, transparency uh, note there, I think that's what is so great when you do a series like this. Mm-hmm. And I hope our listeners are gaining uh, a, a little bit of insight through these conversations using these gurus. But like, they do invade your conversation and it's not a matter of being transparent. It's more like you're having a conversation, you're having a conversation, you're telling a story about your day. And then suddenly, you know, Brene Brown kicks down the door in your mind and says, Hey, yo, you're, uh, you're, um, uh, comparing yourself mm-hmm. and in comparing yourself to these other people, you're really commenting on something, something shameful that you're feeling in the moment. Why is that? Yeah. She gives us the vocabulary to deal with our insecurities, I guess. Yeah. We're drinking the Kool-Aid and it's delicious. Yum, yum, yum. (laughs) Sorry, Lisa. You, you keep going. We've talked a lot about shame and the avoidance of vulnerability and the pitfalls that we can fall in trying to protect ourselves from uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. So I thought with Thanos wins, we could talk about the flip side of that coin of worthiness. Like Thanos, we too have the desire to receive love and have a sense of belonging. The absence of those two things always results in suffering. I'm going to do it. I'm going to define what love is. Oh, oh. It's a risky thing. Is it from Merriam-Webster's Dictionary? No, it's from Brene Brown, of course. (laughs) Love is the sense that you are cared for and that others are invested in your well-being. Belonging is the sense that you belong to something greater than yourself. So let's think of some examples of love. What are some ways that I show you I'm invested in your well-being? Oh, boy, Lisa, you're really putting me on the spot there. Um... I know. It could be like a big thing. Like, you know that, like, I know that when I die, you're going to be super sad. That's true. But it, it can also be like little things. Well, I mean, like recently we've been on a health kick and you've gone out of your way to make really delicious vegetarian meals. Right. That's and, true. And you've removed, you know, salt and sugar from my diet. And, uh, you know, the, clearly you want me to live an extra long life. I do. I want you to live forever. Yeah. And I'm trying not to betray that by sneaking off and grabbing, you know, sofritas burrito bowls at Chipotle. Yeah. And you also show me in little ways that you're invested in my well-being because when I mentioned on Twitter that I really, really liked the Jen Bartel Thanos Uh, sneakers and um, they were going to go on sale while I was at work. So you went online and got them for me and now I have them and I'm happier. They don't come in size 16. They don't. Mm, So I had to enjoy the purchasing of it by getting it for you. I don't know if that's a great example, We both win! (laughs) (laughs) I hope there are other examples other than me purchasing things for you and buying your love. There's lots of things. Like, um, when I am sad, you will drop your priorities to make sure that I am happier. Well, or that your needs are being met or that I can just be an ear to, you know, here's a big thing. Oh, oh, oh. like whenever you're having people over to podcast, you're the one who cleans up the apartment because I 
feel a lot of shame when people see mesh, but for some reason I can't motivate myself to clean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I ha- I did a lot of cleaning yesterday before some friends showed up. Yeah, to do the Rest in Pictures podcast. Plug, plug, plug. Yeah. Brad's other podcast. One of many. But even in a loving relationship like ours, there can be little mini instances that in the moment make us feel unloved because we feel deprioritized in the situation. And are you going to reveal that something that I've done this week? Is this Ooh, let me what's, think. what's happening? No, no, you don't have to. Um, I, I, I thought of one. Oh, no. So it's, it's not a big thing, uh-huh. but um, I had like an opening in my schedule. I had some cancellation. So I was coming home early from work. So I was looking forward to having dinner with you. And then uh, when I got home, you told me you had already had dinner with your dad. Oh, yeah. And that bummed me out. Yeah, but he's my dad. I know. And your dad needs to feel loved, yeah, too. Yeah, and he gave me a ride. I know. <laughs> Don't be mad at me because I had dinner with my dad, Lisa. I'm not saying I'm mad at you. I'm just saying that that was an instance where I felt a little suffering, a oh. little small, minuscule amount of suffering. I've caused you suffering, haven't I? Um. Oh, I'm, we're not, I think we need to end this game. <laughs> oh, this is not fair. Then no? I look like the bad spouse. Uh, let's see. What have you done lately? <laughs> <laughs> that made you feel unloved. Oh, God. Um, let's see. Well, I don't know if this counts. I mean, it's a little petty. Uh, but, you know, sometimes when I come home and you've already left for the day because our schedules don't align up. Right. I walk into an apartment and all the lights are on. The PlayStation's still <laughs> on. The TV's still on. I mean, that's... That is an annoyance. Does that mean that I feel like, do I feel unloved in that moment or do I feel um, unrecognized? I don't know if that's necessarily true. It's certainly an irritation of mine. Right. But is it something where you go like, Lisa knows how I feel about this. And by ignoring my feelings, I suffer a little bit. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. I think that there was a time where that really bothered me because of that line of thinking that's less so now. And and sometimes, depending on my mood, and I, I walk into this apartment and all the lights are on, I laugh to myself <laughs> because it's adorable. Uh, you know, maybe I feel differently when I get the, the electric bill in and I go, oh, the bill's so high because Lise is always leaving the lights on. I don't but know. But it's not that I hate you. It's just that I hate the planet. It's just that's not how your brain works. And no, you don't hate the planet. <laughs> You're just a forgetful human being on that kind of thing. My inner voices are very loud and it's hard to hear things underneath them. Yeah, like, and you're often off like running late to That's get true. out of the house and you don't have time to even consider turning off the lights. And your feelings. But yeah, and my feelings. I don't know. I don't know if that's a great example or not. I'm sure there's other ones if we really wanted to root around and get uh, sad. But yeah, okay. All right. I, I get what you're saying. Right. So, so that's love. Now let's talk belonging. I can remember the last time I felt a tremendous sense of belonging, and that was getting to walk around Sundance with a press badge. <laughs> that felt so good. And we did have a sense of vulnerability because we had like the lowest level of press press badge uh-huh. at Sundance. And we're like, will we even be able to have access to these films and all of this stuff? But once we realized we had all of the access to the films we wanted and people wanted to talk to us, it, it felt wonderful. Can sure, you, sure. Can you, oh, uh, no, can I think that's a perfect example. I'll, I'll, I'll just side right up to that example. Yes, for sure, for sure. And like once you experience that, you're like, okay, well, I've had the Sundance press badge. Give it to me, Chattanooga Film Festival. Let's go, Overlook. What's up? That's true. And if next year we appl- 
applied to Sundance and we did not get in, that would be a serious no. blow, I think, <laughs> yeah, for sure. to our sense of belonging. And I was going through my memory bank for examples where I felt that's I felt outsiderness. I was suffering because of a lack of a lack of feeling of belonging. And it was in ninth grade. Mm. My mom was trying to get me to join a youth group at our church because at our church, the religious education program ended at eighth grade. And my mom wanted me to continue participating in the church, obviously. And so she made me go to youth group and it was like the first meeting and they were having like doing those like get to know you exercises at the end of that first meeting. Sure. And I was so nervous the whole time because it's other teenagers and most of them were older than me. And so uh, they had this exercise where people were encouraged to speak to three people they did not know. And this, like, I'm a very introverted person. This was a very hard exercise for me. But at the end, this really handsome older boy came up to me and began talking like to me and I felt so special. And then the leader announced that the exercise was old, like oh, over. No. And so no. instead of ending the conversation, he literally just turned and walked away. No. And I literally, I mean, that hurt so much <laughs> that I never went to youth group again. I've never heard this story. It's a sad story. That's sad. <laughs> uh, can you reciprocate with an oh. instance you felt a lack of belonging. I mean, I I think I encounter that a lot in putting myself out there at festivals, meeting other writers, whether that's at Sundance, Chattanooga, Fantastic Fest. I I, I experience that a lot, uh, and I sort of chase it at this point. You that's know, good. You, you try to connect with as many people as possible, but also in doing so, you know that you're going to face rejection from like the cool kids. Yeah. Well, not to mix experts. But Gretchen Rubin in her book, The Happiness Project, talks about how, how the more titles you have or the more groups you feel like you belong to, the happier and more secure that you feel. Yeah, interesting, yeah. Because, like, I'll use myself as an example. I feel like a Gullickson. Mm -hmm. I feel like a Marrier. Mm -hmm. That's my maiden name. I feel like a wife, a podcaster, a writer, a musician, a nerd, a member of a book club, a member of a film club. So if I was to lose any one of these titles, it, it's it's not as bad because I have all of these other titles to fall back on. I hope you don't lose the Gullickson No, that would be, I would be devastated. <laughs> that would be pretty bad. But uh, yeah, I see. Okay. I got it. I got it. It's like, um, like, I like to think of it as like a Russian nesting doll of uh, identities that, yeah. that make you feel safe. But and when you're younger, it is hard to put yourself out into so many different arenas. But once you start to succeed in a few, you start to go like, well, I could do all kinds of things and I could belong to all kinds of places. Right. So that sense of belonging in some areas makes you feel more confident in other areas. Sure. Yeah. But with Thanos and death, death has Thanos whittled down <laughs> to one identity. Because he's no longer an eternal. He's not really a god under any other umbrella. He is not a celestial. He is not an Asgardian, right? He's immortal, but not. Because he he's 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 not an immortal, but he's not really dying either. Yeah, and as Thanos wins addresses, he is victorious and utterly alone. Right. So his only title is inextricably linked to death 
because all he is is a death bringer. So him losing his link to death, the the stakes are just so high for that because that is all that he is. Sure. Over this past month, we've been talking a lot about Thanos and his hustle for worthiness. The fact that everything he is doing is to prove that he's worthy of death's love. Worthiness is a sense that you inherently deserve love and belonging. And this is a sense that has to be cultivated. Thanos's first moment of consciousness was his mother rejecting him. We know that from brain studies that social rejection is felt the same way as physical pain. So Thanos' suffering started practically simultaneously with his birth. And the shame of that rejection shaped his entire life. And the idea that death could finally love him and make him a defining part of the narrative of the overall universe gave him something very powerful and very dangerous. Hope. Uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what's awesome about the Thanos narrative Mm -hmm. Uh, in particular as seen where we started with Jason Aaron and Simone Bianchi's Thanos rising Mm -hmm. and carrying that rejection at birth all the way to Thanos wins is these two stories transform Thanos into a Greek tragedy right in a way that Starlin and other Marvel writers uh, have not treated him and the MCU has not treated him And I think something that's interesting in Thanos Wins is he's also treated like a universal constant. So, Which is the Starlin version. Right. But he lacks free will in that Mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. And he's not aware of it, which makes him even more pathetic and devastating. Yeah, and he's a pawn of an abstract, of a cosmic persona, death. Right, but because he has this sense of scarcity and he has death, he has hope. Okay. When we think about hope, we generally think of like this like warm, fuzzy feeling of goodness. But in her research, Brene Brown learned from psychologist C.R. Snyder that hope is not an emotion, but a function of struggle. It's a cognitive behavioral process. And can be dangerous. And yeah, it can be dangerous. Well, they don't really say, Brene Brown doesn't say that it's dangerous, but from reading this comic, from reading Thanos Wins, I kind of see the dark side of hope. Which is addressed in Stephen King's Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption and voiced by Morgan Freeman in the adaptation of that film as the character of Red, where he's like, I can't afford to hope. Hope will get a man killed in the prison. And Andy Dufresne's like, no, you got to hope. You got to. And like, oh, I don't know why I'm suddenly really excited about Shawshank, but that's interesting. (laughs) Hope is manifested when there is a goal, a pathway, and a belief that the goal is achievable. So if I may use an example from Thanos wins, Silver Surfer, he has a goal. He wants to destroy Thanos. Uh He has a pathway, right? If I have Mjolnir, then I'm going to be powerful enough to defeat Uh Thanos. uh uh And now we're getting into the idea of Marvel worthiness. Right, so now (laughs) he has worthiness. He has Mjolnir. But he had to work at it. He had to work at it. You don't know what that is. I'd love to read that comic. And now he feels like he can approach Thanos with a new confidence. With a God-killing weapon. Right. Now Thanos, over the entire course of this month, 
We have seen his goal. His goal is to be lovers with death, to be one with death. To be accepted, to be loved by death. And throughout these storylines, death is putting before him means. Like, starting at starting in Thanos Rising, hey, if you go back and you kill all of your offspring, then maybe I'll love you. Hey, if you kill off all the mothers of your offspring, maybe I can love you. In Infinity Gauntlet, if you kill off half the universe to restore the balance of the dead and the living, then I'll love you. So she always stands just beyond an attainable goal. And that hope is the engine that drives Thanos, that drives this universal constant of death. Those challenges are very much like Greek challenges, right? Like the five feats of Hercules or whatever. Uh, And, but they're just demented, twisted, messed up takes on that type of narrative. Exactly. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. Okay, yeah. So should we get right into the comic? Should we do a quick, brief, brief, this is a hard book to do a brief <laughs> plot synopsis? Sure, let's, okay. let's give it a go. Let's give it a go. As we mentioned earlier in this episode, this is technically part of the second volume of the Thanos solo series. Which I have not read the first volume. And, and, you know, the Jeff Lemire stuff is interesting. I think it doesn't necessarily pay off. I have gone back and read the whole run. It's decent, uh, but it's, it's not like this comic. Okay. But this comic is issues 13 and 18 of that run, written by Donny Cates, illustrated by his God Country pal, Jeff Shaw, and colored by Antonio Fabella. It's gorgeous. It is gorgeous. So before this book starts, Jeff Lemire wrapped up this year-long storyline involving Thanos at war with his with his son Thane. That's hard to say. Thanos' son Thane. Thanos' son Thane. Yeah. Th- 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 uh, spoilers, that storyline does not go well for the kid. Womp womp. <laughs> um, Cates and Shaw pick up the story with Thanos invading and conquering Chitari Prime. Those are those uh, reptilian baddies you see at the end of Joss Whedon's Avengers movie. Lots, lots of technology and very scrabbly. They're yeah, very scrabbling scrabbly. around. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, before Thanos can even appreciate his victory over the Tachari people, the cosmic ghost rider appears from the future thanks to an assist from a fractured time stone. He captures Thanos, brings him back to his master, Old King Thanos. With a beard, he looks badass. He looks great. Uh, You know, we're talking millions and millions of years in the future, the far, far, far future. We learn that King Thanos reigns supreme. He's conquered almost all of his enemies, but he needs his younger self to complete his final mission, the destruction of a being called the Fallen One. And at first, Thanos thinks it's a trick, but when King Thanos utters his birth name, uh, Dione? Is that how you'd say that? I don't know. Maybe Dion. Who Maybe knows? Dion. Uh, whatever the case, whatever the pronunciation, Thanos knows that this madness is legit because he's told nobody that name. He hadn't heard it since his mother had said it. Right. And the fallen one appears, and we discover that it's actually a darkened silver surfer riding the annihilation wave from the negative zone and carrying Mjolnir. Oh, snap! Yeah, for sure, for sure. Norrin Rad, as Lisa mentioned, is worthy. And he takes Mjolnir and obliterates the cosmic Ghost Rider in one swing. 
P.S. It is also revealed that the writer is actually an insane Frank Castle, a.k.a. the Punisher, who sold his soul to both Mephisto and Galactus. I was totally shocked by this moment. I had to like flip. I'm like, is he is he really gone? Yeah. I thought this was his book. OK, well, guess what? He's not actually gone, Lisa. There's a sequel series. No way. Uh, you got to read it. We're gone um, then we see that a feral Hulk that Thanos has been keeping in a dungeon distracts the fallen one and King Thanos slays the surfer using Surtur's twilight sword. That's when Mistress Death shows up wearing a wedding dress. Not just the twilight's sword. He also smashes his skull on the Mjolnir. handle of Mjolnir. Yeah, yeah, because there's that line where Surf is like, you're, not, you're never going to wield this thing because Thanos tells him, I'm right. going to kill you with that thing. And he goes, no, you're never going to be worthy. It's impossible for you to be worthy. And Thanos shows him that he doesn't need to be worthy to use that thing as a weapon. Great moment. Yes. So Thanos eventually realizes his true purpose with the appearance of death. King Thanos believes that he must die and only a Thanos can kill a Thanos. They fight for a while, but young Thanos ends the battle believing this future self to be quite pathetic old and a wretched weakling. He and also kind of, I just thought of this, also kind of proving Deadpool in Deadpool versus Thanos right because Thanos cannot let Thanos die. Therefore, he serves life, not oh, death. Damn, good, I'm making good connection, Lisa. That's awesome. Yes. Uh, so young Thanos tells old Thanos, that he'll do better than kill him. He'll erase him from the timeline, making sure that young Thanos will never grow up into this old, foul, grotesque creature. And as King Thanos begins to fade from existence, he ponders to Mistress Death, what did he do to achieve this? And the book ends with Mistress Death answering him simply, he won. The end. Yeah. So good. So good. So he, Overall, you liked Cosmic Ghost Rider. You, did you enjoy this book? I did. Would you say that you enjoyed this book more than the other three books, Infinity Gauntlet, Thanos uh, Rising, and Deadpool versus Thanos? I would say yes, though a lot of my appreciation for this book is how it carries out my personal theories and discoveries about Thanos. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How it's like a nice... How, how it's an ending. So for you Thanos. don't think you would love this book as much as you do without the work that you put in with the other story. Right. Lines. I don't think I would have the depth of understanding to really appreciate what it means for Thanos to end a Thanos. All right. So I want to come back to your thoughts on Thanos at the end of this episode, but uh, let's get into the nitty gritty of applying Brene Brown to Thanos wins. Yes. My favorite part. I think we have to start at the very beginning with the first page of issue 13 and the first panel where we see Galactus wandering through the cosmic universe. And the caption reads, In the known universe, with all of its endless wonder and power, there exist a select few who are widely agreed upon by those who calculate such things to be the mightiest beings in all of existence. I am sure you know who they are. And as it continues, we see, you know, uh, Thor wielding Mjolnir next to his dad, Odin. We see... The Inhumans. The Inhumans. We see the Avengers. And the bottom panel there, we see Silver Surfer 
Um, and yeah, uh, so we are opening as all Thanos comics should with this idea of the great beings of the universe. Right. And also it goes along with the overall theme of universal constants and how they are unavoidable. So even the champions of earth that are supposed to be, Oh, of the entire universe that are supposed to be, our heroes, the strongest beings alive, have a sense of the constancy that is Thanos, and deep down inside, know that ultimately they will lose. Well, and that that they are going to constantly go up against him, and because he is a being that has not shattered before them so far, he will therefore never shatter. And what I love about Donny Cates is he says, "Let's imagine." the reality of the situation that this this immortal being filled with hate and a desire to court death will reign supreme over the champions of the rest of the universe. Yeah. Like Galactus, the Celestials, the Inhumans, the Avengers. Of, uh, the Asgardians. Uh, the Asgardians. They're all going to bow to Thanos. Right. One thing about Donny Cates, which is super fun... And also, I don't know, maybe kind of gimmicky, but I like it, is that he loves the page turn reveal. Well, I mean, he's a big time. Like, there are multiple moments in this book where you go, oh, snap, like with Silver Surfer and Mjolnir. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he, he likes to start a thought at the out on one page and finish the thought at the flip. He likes to slap a fanboy. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. And he does it right away after the first page that we just spoke of. When you turn the page, it's the... I guess, title card. Which is the concluding thought of the captions on the exactly. first page. So the first page ends with, they would all tell you the exact same thing, dot, dot, dot. Thanos wins. He is the Mad Titan. He is Thanos. Yeah, yeah. Saul Bass would love that page. It's yes. a great, great title. <laughs> so we know that he wins, but we don't know what that actually means. Uh, how does he win? What does it mean for Thanos to win? What does it mean to Thanos to hear that he he is going to win when he's finally uh, grabbed by the cosmic ghost rider and dragged to his throne room inside the mouth of Galactus? Uh, such a great image. The last image of issue 14. Yeah, and issue 14 is this whole history lesson of how Thanos got to that skull throne you know we see him devastate earth we see him eradicate all these beings that stood in his way at one point and it ends with him victorious inside the mouth of galactus and nothing's more badass and victorious than that i guess yeah and and we can stop reading we don't have to read the final issues because we know how it's going to end yes. you know thanos wins all right well that's the end of that then uh lisa where can our listeners send no, their Brad, words of affirmation we're to not what? We're not going to end. I mean, there's more. I mean, there's got to be a reason for there to be more pages. Oh, okay. okay. I guess we got to keep reading. All right. Well, we did do that whole plot synopsis so people know that there's more story. Oh, yeah, that's true. Okay. So issue 15, you know, 14 ends with Thanos inside the head of Galactus. Issue 15 begins with the cosmic ghost rider subjecting young Thanos to the pen and stare where he has to relive all of his sins. Right. And for any other beings seeing their sins and re revisiting those dark parts of their lives, they would be so overcome with shame and sorrow and regret that they would be destroyed. They'd gouge their own eyes out. But 
Thanos, when he sees all of the murders, all of the infanticide, <laughs> all of the genocide and devastation, he sees them as the validation sum of the sum total of his quest, yeah. his quest and pursuit of his one true love that is death. So he looks into the eyes of the cosmic ghostwriter and he sees his fondest memories. Which is why King Thanos keeps Cosmic Ghost Rider around, so he can always take a little bit of a nostalgic trip back. <laughs> and um, and it continues his hope, that hope that through all of these quests, all of these epic pursuits, he will eventually be worthy of his prize, right? right. So it's a reminder of his hope. And young Thanos is hanging out with old Thanos inside this temple dedicated to death and, you know, this massive long dinner table where there's a seat saved just for her. And he sees this old guy just waiting around and he's he, he's disgusted because this version of Thanos, this old Thanos, is not the proactive titan that he wants to be now. Right, he's like, you won, really? If you've won, like, then where is she? Yeah, where is she? You clearly have not won. And, and that's when the whole right. storyline revolving around the fallen one comes into play. And Thanos, the elder, tries to explain, like, well, I just need to vanquish my last foe, and then we're all good. So I need you to do that. And Thanos finds himself kind of just hanging out with Cosmic Ghost Rider and feeding the dog that is Hulk in the basement. Yep, so, so good. sad. <laughs> um, but he's starting to go like, what? Like, what are we waiting around for? And they have this interesting conversation where Thanos, like young Thanos, kind of lays his feelings out for him. He's like, I came from a time where I thought I had renounced death. Yeah, that's true. And now I'm here looking at myself as an old man still pining after his, like, high school sweetheart. Like, like if you think back to middle school, like, imagine if you go to the end of your life and you're like, oh, my goodness, Stephanie in English class <laughs> is still controlling every decision I've ever made in my whole life. Yeah, so young Thanos is experiencing a great disappointment. Right. Of self. Yeah, and... and Young Thanos is like, well, when was the last time? When was the last time you saw death? And old Thanos uh, recalls when he was killing who we assume is Adam Warlock, uh, a gold-skinned person. It was so long ago that uh, old Thanos doesn't even remember his name, which is truly a slap to the <laughs> mythology around Thanos. And I would imagine if I was Jim Starlin reading this, I would be hurt a little because that relationship is so key to the uh, storyline of Thanos. But Thanos is old and it's been a while. It's like been millions of years, right? Sure, 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 sure. Um, so but that's another, that's like another little like nudge, nudge, wink, wink to the fanboy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, but like he recalls that story and after he had killed Adam Warlock and he was like, well, I saw her and here's the exact quote. She was waiting for me after the battle, but she just stood there not saying a word as if she were waiting for something, something more, right? So it goes back to that sense of scarcity and the same tactics she used in the infinity gauntlet of this kind of 
silence that kept motivating him. Right. He's creating the narrative like Brene Brown talks about, you know, when death uh, refuses to answer to his actions and to, you know, he sees himself as responding to her challenges successfully, but she refuses to, you know, uh, welcome him. And when she answers with silence, he has no choice but to imagine what she could be thinking. And we know when, we're in a situation and we're imagining what the other person is thinking. Odds are not only is it inaccurate, but it's way worse than the person's actual right, thoughts. Right, right, right. And so this weird pity party that is happening with Thanos, King Thanos, concludes with the temple windows shattering and we see the arrival of Silver Surfer darkened with the annihilation wave behind him. And we're off to the races. The war with the Fallen One is in full throttle. Silver Surfer has Mjolnir. He's got new hope because he's wielding the God Killer. And he obliterates Cosmic Ghost Rider with one thwack. Harold versus Harold, the lesser one, poor Frank Castle, goes down finally. Or does he? Um, And yeah, and then, you know, uh, the Hulk, the feral dog that is Hulk, erupts from the earth from his dungeon prison to go after Silver Surfer. And there's that really just tragic and awful sequence where old feral Hulk is just pounding against the worthy Norrin Rad and his knuckles are breaking and splitting open and bleeding all over the face of the Silver Surfer. And he is unmoved uh, because he is worthy yeah. What do you think about the final moments of Bruce Banner? For me, like, I see old Hulk as another really depressing example of hope. Because since the last time we've seen him, clearly he's done so much suffering. So every time he sees a new person, that is a new source of hope because that person can and he has a goal. His goal is to die. Yeah. He the keeps new saying, person. Kill Hulk, kill Hulk. And what he's actually saying, or actually people read it as Hulk kill, Hulk kill, but he's actually saying kill like, Hulk. Like, he wants an ending. And uh, he's, he's gifted it finally by yeah. Norrin Red. Uh, yeah. His last act alive is to say, kill me, please kill me. And, Norrin holds his face and goes, oh, Bruce, what has that monster referring to Thanos done to you? And and he's just, Banner is so tired of hurting people and being hurt. And while they're having this tender moment, old Thanos uses that as a distraction, as an opportunity to kill them both with uh, that. The, the Twilight the Sword. The Twilight Sword. And he thrusts it through both Banner and Silver Surfer. Yeah, shish kebab. Like, yeah, just one skewer. And, and you, you know, you, you talked about the tragic hope of Bruce Banner, but also Mjolnir representing a tragic hope for Norrin Rad. Right. You know, a false hope. Right. And the Norrin Rad has a little bit left in him, but uh, the Thanos both just smack it out of him, and yeah. he's dead. And impale his face on the handle of Mjolnir. <laughs> and they're both kind of... Um, dazed after the fight, and they're like, kind of like looking around, like... Like, where is she? And, and she, she shows up? 
Yeah, dressed for a wedding. Yeah, so uh, somebody's going to get married. Mm. I hear those bells now. Yeah, guess what, <laughs> though? As we've seen in every incarnation of Mistress Death, she is a giant tease. Uh, right, no- <laughs> she, she approaches to like a certain point and she stops and they're like, why did she stop? Why did, why did you think she stopped? I don't know. Why do you think she stopped? And King Thanos comes to this realization that, okay, um, true death needs to happen. For, for death to embrace me, I must embrace death. Uh, I've got this Thanos here. A Thanos can only kill a Thanos. That's the true constant in the universe. And the two thanos I Thanos-is, thanos Thanos? <laughs> the two of them go at it. And it is, you know, for a couple pages, just typical comic book smashing. Yep, yep. And um, Death makes some amused expressions at their fight. She's cruel. But it makes me think about um, back in Thanos versus Deadpool, this idea of Death cannot feel love. Death Mm. does not actually have any stake in Thanos besides what she can get out of him and how he serves her needs. Right. So these expressions that she's making are just a, a furthering of that ruse. Manipulation, yes. puppet mastery. Uh, you know, what we saw in Deadpool versus Thanos is that death's ultimate goal is death. And, you know, she was trying to kill eternity in that comic. So, you know, for a, a creature like that, that... That love is meaningless. Death is not capable of love. That's my ultimate uh, come down on that character is she's beyond that. She, he has no need for has, that emotion. She has no investment in Thanos as a person. She He is a tool for her. Her right. purpose is death. She wants death. He can get her more death. The end. So it looks like young Thanos is going to win... But then it, when it comes for time for the finishing move, he's like, he, he nah. can't, he doesn't do it. And, and he leaves older Thanos begging, begging. And Which he's just like, infuriates younger Thanos even more. He is so disgusted by himself. Right. And he's like, oh, you know what? If you want to die, do it yourself. So in that moment... Thanos, young Thanos takes that shard of the time stone and he goes back in time with the determination of either I'm eventually going to kill you or I'm going to change my life so that it erases you and I never become you. And none of this is going to exist. Right. I am going to obliterate you through my own actions. Right. So he's got a pathway. Yeah. He's got a goal. He's got his hope. And... Old Thanos, when he realizes that he's not fading away, he he's like, young Thanos must not have done it. Clearly, I am old Thanos, me, now present me, is meant to be with you. That death and old Thanos are meant to be together. So even at the end of his life, he's still going, finally, it's finally. Gonna happen. It's going to happen. I get. I get the girl. I get the girl. <laughs> nope. Psych. But then in those final moments, he's like, lady, why do you look so? And then he realizes she's not dressed for a wedding. She's dressed for a funeral, Lisa. That's right. And so he is devastated. And his final act is to ask her a question. My love, before I am lost, tell me, what did he do to be rid of me? 
What did Thanos do? And even in that final moment, she does not give him the satisfaction of an answer, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which I think is a great summary of their entire entire relationship. Her withholding, Silence. her withholding satisfaction from him. Yeah, yeah. And so the final page of the book is a full page uh, devoted to death, with a black rose lifted up to her face. She's smelling it. And what are the last lines there, Lisa? Why it will end the same way every story that has ever been told has ended. With death. Death and nothing more. The end. Death is always alone. <laughs> yeah, okay. So that brings us to the end of Thanos Wins. Um, and we know what that title means. Uh, he, it's just, it's, a, it's circular. It's, he, he ends, his, his story ends, and by ending... Oh, I guess it means also he dies. So he's one with death, finally, even though he's not conscious A version of him yeah. does. And it, you know, a version of him gets to meet death, the end, and be totally unsatisfied by it. And yet, the younger version is still going to go back and chase that girl, who will continue to push him into horrible, murderous, genocidal quests, and she will never accept this serial killer. And that is an, yet another universal constant that defines existence. Right. So, you know, Galactus is a constant. Eternity is a constant. Death is a constant. And therefore, Thanos is a constant. I find it really interesting, this conversation about free will. Because if Thanos is a universal constant and exists to be a destroyer, right? Is he really responsible for the evil he's he's done? Because the narrator describes him as no more evil than a cancer cell. Right, and it goes all the way back to what you were saying regarding his birth. You know, he entered this world and was rejected. And through that rejection of his mother, built a path before him that would only lead to this moment, and to these constant cycles of violence. And that rejection was evoked by her looking into his eyes and seeing who what his destination destiny was going to be. Right, 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 right. Yeah, so um Thanos and Death sad. Sad. Yeah, it's a really sad story. And as such, they are unlike any other couple we have covered on this podcast so far and in exploring their you know, their hopeless relationship, it's kind of... Not hopeless, hopeful, doomed. Doomed uh, relationship. Yeah, yeah their, their doomed relationship. Thank you, Lisa. Uh, it's kind of a bummer uh, to explore, but endlessly fascinating. And it doesn't make me want to read fewer Thanos comics. If anything, I want to explore more Thanos, even though I know and baked into the purpose of his story is denial from the one he loves. Right. It's okay. A little sadomasochistic of me to want to read Thanos and death stories. You'd think that knowing the end of the story would make you less curious. And the fact that Donnie Cates has created the ending of a story that makes you more curious is amazing. Like it's a, a tremendous feat. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, yes, it, it, this is an ending of one version of Thanos. And we know that, what comes after is just more of the same, but yum, yum, yum. Give it to me. I know. And I love how 
using the ideas of Brene Brown, for me, I feel like it has enriched the story of Thanos. And when I originally picked this book based on the title, Daring Greatly, How the Courage to be Vulnerable Transforms the Way We Live, Love, Parent, and Lead. I like I was being ironic. That was like, I was making a joke. <laughs> but the fact that reading this story has turned into this cautionary tale about manipulation and how someone can manipulate you to the point where you have all of your eggs in their basket and they can just smash your eggs and you have nothing. I I think that it makes Thanos a a relatable character. I hate to say it, but it is true. How we could all like, it's like any other like serial killer movie. Like it's like, you know, if we if we had only noticed sooner that he was torturing birds, then maybe we could have prevented uh, all this. It's more than just that. I think, you know, even within, you know, uh, going back to our conversations around Thanos rising and serial killer narratives, mm-hmm. empathy for evil is necessary to understanding evil and avoiding evil. Yeah. And when you explore stories uh, of this ilk, whether it's Thanos or Jeffrey Dahmer, you're... Uh, having a larger human conversation that is necessary because it is so easy just to label them demonic mm-hmm. or you know possessed by the devil. You, it, it's 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 important that we see these villains as humans. Yeah. So th- so that there are stakes on all sides. Yeah. Narratively. Narratively, and also effective. just you know in navigating your own life mm-hmm. and watching the, the paths that you go down and you're like, oh gosh, I don't want to go down the path that Jeffrey Dahmer went down. Or- that would be unfortunate. <laughs> so talking about defining our our paths in our lives, how are, like, have you seen through exploring Thanos and through exploring the ideas of Brene Brown ways that we can bring what we've learned into our relationship? Well, certainly uh, in, in talking about Brene Brown, I think there's lots that Brene Brown discusses in Daring Greatly revolving around vulnerability, shame, um, the, the, the narratives that we create, the false narratives that we create. Like, I think, like the five love languages, I'll be using this language a lot going forward in our marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, on the Thanos side, it's all those dark emotions. It's shame. It's guilt. It's rage. Uh, you know, there, we all have a Thanos sitting on our shoulder, right? And and hopefully we have an Adam Warlock, too. Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully our, our Thanoses don't uh, pulverize our Adam Warlock. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I definitely recognize the humanity in Thanos in going through these four books in maybe ways that I didn't ex- necessarily explore before these conversations, as much as I just like thought Thanos, the mad Titan, what a rad, interesting, absurd villain uh, of the MCU. You know, we, we picked him originally because books like the infinity gauntlet, which led to all these other Jim Starlin adventures that he's having right now in these original graphic novels. Thanos is one of the rare Marvel villains that gets a lot of space, a lot of comics to explore his dark psychology. And while I don't want every Marvel comic to be that, I think it is interesting to explore that side of superheroes. I think it's important to explore the supervillains 
like we were just saying earlier. Uh, and in doing that, you know, you get to recognize some of your own. Uh, the, su- the little super villain inside of yeah, Brad. Yeah. I feel like I'm rambling a lot there. I hope I, I came see, to a point. I feel where you're coming from. And I like my takeaway, I feel like is in the same realm as yours, particularly in this last book, how some of the tools and language we use to gain love and to gain affection from others used in the absence of actual true love is really dangerous. Yeah. And that's actually a parallel we had with the five love languages when um, we were talking about how, oh, what was... Gene and Scott? Yeah, not, but not Scott. Who was the bad guy who was manipulating Gene? Oh, Mastermind? Yeah, how Mastermind was using the five love languages to manipulate Gene into um, using her Phoenix Force to undo right. the universe, right? In this book, death yeah. is using hope to undo Thanos so that he too will destroy the universe. Hope with the absence of investment into the other person's well-being is a really dangerous and manipulative thing. And all of us, even the supervillains of us, are motivated by love and belonging. So it's really important to see all of the people mm-hmm. around you and invest in them, invest in their sem- mm-hmm. sense of belonging and share part of you your humanitarian love with others. That all being said, Lisa, yeah, it is a challenge to take a villainous couple like this mm-hmm. and bring it to our podcast. Are you eager to revisit uh, dark souls like Thanos and death again? Like, let's say Joker and Harley Quinn. Oh, man. Like, could we do that next? I, I think we could. And, I, and I'm interested in what other resources we can use to frame their narrative. I appreciate you thinking we could jump right from Thanos and Do death. I, am I ready now yeah, to Yeah, that's Dane? what I'm asking No, you. thanks. No, no. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, yes, sure. Ultimately, Ultimately someday. Ultimately, we will get to Joker and Harley Quinn uh, and, and other villain couples. But in exploring Thanos and death, it takes a lot out of you emotionally. And I need a break from such darkness. At the start of this episode, I said that I will miss Thanos and death conversations, and that is true, but I am also happy to jump into uh, a brighter future with another couple, a more heroic couple. Yeah, and the, the lighter, fun side of love. So there's a lot riding on this next pick for Brad because it's got to buoy our spirits (laughs) so um word on the street is we're wading our way into the dc universe who is our next couple yeah we are going to explore arthur curry and mira from the aquaman comics uh i got a lot of recommendations from listeners online through our twitter uh accounts and even our instagram account and i've i've heard all of you and we are going to choose all those people in the future. But I really wanted something aggressively sunny mm-hmm. uh, after Thanos. Sunny like, sunny like the beach? Yeah, sunny like the beach. After Thanos and death, I wanted something bright. And what sprung to mind was Aquaman. And it's a character that I've always enjoyed, uh, but 
have not truly explored in the comic books too far. You know, I've read some New 52. I've read some classic stuff. But primarily, I know him from the old cartoon series, uh, you know, the Super Friends stuff, the Justice League stuff, the Batman Brave and the Bold stuff. And I'm kind of excited to explore the Atlantean mythology through the DC lens. So I'm, I'm now really curious. What's our first book? Well, the first book is going to be the young adult graphic novel Mira, Tidebreaker, written by Danielle Page and illustrated by Stephen Byrne. It's brand new. It's the first in a new series of graphic novels geared to young adults, uh, and they're using established YA authors like Danielle Page, who wrote uh, Dorothy Must Die, to um, you know explore their their most uh, celebrated heroes, and. Mira rarely gets a title all to her own. And don't worry, it is going to deal with her relationship with Arthur Curry. I haven't read it yet, but I've done some flipping through it, Lisa. It looks like there's lots of kissing involved. Yay, you know I love kissing. You like kissing. And yeah, I think Stephen Byrne's art is quite beautiful. It looks like a, a DC take on a first seconds book. That is clearly what they are going for. Oh my goodness. And I have a lot of hope for this story. So there you go. Mira Tidebreaker is going to be our gateway into the conversation around Arthur Curry and Mira. And then we'll go into some more traditional routes uh, with the DC comics. Fun. Okay, Lisa, so we've said goodbye to Thanos and death. That means we also have to say goodbye to Brene Brown. Sad. Who is going to fill the role of our guru for Arthur and Mira? I decided to go for another science-minded relationship therapist, and it is Dr. Sue Johnson. She's known for her work in the field of psychology on bonding, attachment, and adult romantic relationships. I just read that straight from the Wikipedia, and I like how they <laughs> in- included the word adult. Mm. <laughs> like, ooh, very mm, sexy. Get sexy. <laughs> so the book that we're going to be using it is a number one bestseller in clinical chemistry. It's called Love Sense, the Revolutionary New Science of Romantic Relationships. All right. Well, I fingers. know nothing. I know nothing about it. So <laughs> well, we'll I, see. I, I hope, I hope uh, it's as enjoyable and as informative as Brene Brown ended up being for our personalities. Uh, okay, Lisa. So uh, that brings us to the end. Where can our listeners send words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Brad, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? You can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. On the 19th of May, we are going to be at the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia, doing a screening of the comic book movie Tank Girl. Talk about loving the 90s. Loving the 90s for sure. It is part of our Still Awesome series with... In the Mouth of Darkness, and we are partnering with the Four Color Fantasies comic book shop from Winchester to present this as well. If you're in the DMV area, please come on down, say hello, uh, snap some photos with us, and yeah, uh, follow us, the podcast, at CBCC Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, that's going to do it for us, guys. Until next time. Keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport Open. Reverse. We did it backwards. It was weird. Doopy doopy.